If the Commonwealth's High Guard had a weakness, it was this. Its officers were too competent, too caring, and too brave. Welcome you to the first edition of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. And we're we re- so glad to have you here for this first we re- episode of Drive Back the Night. Yeah. We're, uh, and- we're really looking forward to what this podcast has Ethan. to bring. I tried to warn you. What are you doing? Ryan, I'm a podcast host. I have to do this. I cannot play second fiddle to anyone. I'm sorry. I know we said you no, were going to take point on I this. I got to take the mic away from you. I'm Did you bring a gun well. to the studio? <laughs> Ryan, I've been playing on this for a long time. Glad I brought my nine. Whose idea was this to begin with to do this podcast? I mean, honestly. Did you really think that I was just going to sit by and just let this happen without me being the main personality on this? You know what your problem is, Ethan? You talk too much. Oh, Ethan, what have you done? Ryan, I'm proud of you. Oh, ah, my gut. Ethan, oh. you all right, dude? And now, God, it feels like he just changed to my chest. Oh, the bullets grief. aren't even real; they're just sound bites. <sighs> Ethan, Ethan, check please. Well, that was entertaining. If you watched Under the Night along with us, then you know what we were doing. If not, then it might serve you well to go back and watch the first episode of Andromeda, Under the Night. So yeah, we are Drive Back Tonight, an Andromeda series podcast, and I am Ryan Mazzocco, and joining me is... Now that I've got the squib blood cleaned up off of me, Ethan Maestri. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, so this is a very special episode because this is our first, and uh, we uh, hope to do this for for quite a while. At least 110. At least 110. Well, 111, actually. Yeah, there are going to be some extras thrown in there. At least one. At least one for sure. We know that we've we've got a special surprise for our listeners coming up here in about uh, two or three weeks, and so um, we are going through every episode of the TV series Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and so uh, we're going to go ahead and release the first two episodes this week, and then uh, continuing on from there. Um, we will uh, go ahead and go through the entire series episode by episode, and we really hope that uh, we can uh, we can get you guys to watch the episodes along with us, and then uh, listen to us as we break down these episodes. We think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I just want to say, Ryan, um, I didn't have the appreciation for the show that you did. You talked about it a lot on my our podcast, uh, the Age of Geek podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, now that we've gotten to this point. Uh, you know, starting to watch the show, uh, having gotten through almost two seasons of it, uh, I could really see the potential for this type of show. This, this is, I woke up one morning thinking we could podcast about this and this could be a recurring discussion for episode by episode. And 
I'm just I'm glad I'm glad we're doing it and uh, looking forward to the the journey that this show and this subsequent podcast is going to take us on. Yeah, I am too. So you know, to those that are listening out there now, um, go ahead watch the shows with us, listen along, tell your friends if you're enjoying what you're listening to. And I was going to say there's there is a huge uh, fan base out there for Andromeda, but they're they're you never hear from them. You mm. don't hear from them. No. But I know they're at Comic Cons. I know they're out there. There's a, you know web pages and forums and things like that where people love the show and have talked about it. Obviously, it's not in the mainstream right now because it's been off air off air for what almost almost, almost ten years. Almost ten years. Yeah, it was, yeah. ended in 05. So hopefully, this podcast can reach out and connect with a few people. And if if it can if it um, I'm trying to think of what I want to say here, if it makes an impact with you. If it uh, is something that you feel like uh, you want to put in your two cents worth in, uh, you know, we're going to have our contact information at the end of the show, and we would love to hear from the Andromeda fans out there. Yeah, we absolutely would. But right now, Ethan, I'd really like to hear from you. Um, you've dug up some information about this uh, first episode and the development, and, and uh, you have just a little bit of uh, fun facts for I, us, don't I you? I do have some fun facts. I am a, a, a trivia fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like Trivial Pursuit. Um, and so, yeah, I, I dug up some information. I will, uh, I will say this may not be a recurring segment for every show because trivia and fun facts are meager mm, <laughs> for this yeah. series, but I do have some information for the, for under the night. All right. Lay it on us. Uh, Jaren was played by the actor, John Tinch. And I thought this guy was pretty interesting because he's one of those actors. Uh, he's actually a actor, writer, director. He wears many hats in the entertainment industry, but he's one of those actors that when you look at his IMDb list, it's longer than my arm. (laughs) I mean, he's Mm -hmm. just done all kinds of uh, characters and he's been in such things. um, The X-Files, the outer limits, Stargate SG one fringe. He's been in movies in uh, Watchmen, the colony. And I only bring it up because it's one of my son's favorite and that's air buddies. Mm. So he's just, for for the last twenty five years, is that about the, years, the the dog that the plays dog. basketball? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, for the last twenty five years or so, he has been he's one of those working actors. He and he's in everything. You look at his IMDb list, and it's it's enormous. But anyway, he's the actor that plays Jarentix uh, in this show and the subsequent uh, Unaffirming Flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, the couple of other things that I had, uh, Dylan Hunt. The, the character or the name Dylan Hunt was actually a reuse of a name that Roddenberry used in a pilot from the 1970s. What? Yeah, which I thought that was pretty interesting. Something else. Uh, by Earth's calendar. Uh, this is something that I always am interested in is when is this taking place? Yeah. It was the time frame. Okay. By Earth's calendar, the year in which we see Dylan Hunt on the fully manned, fully crewed high guard starship. Andromeda, mm-hmm. that's forty-eight fifty-eight, and then we go forward uh, later on in the series. It establishes that Andromeda was frozen in time for three hundred and three years, mm-hmm. and that brings us to the year fifty-one sixty-one on the calendar. So the series is taking place beginning in fifty-one sixty-one. So I thought that was just interesting to kind of establish mm-hmm. where we're at in the stream of time and how far in the future this is supposed to be taking place, right? And then uh, finally, the it's it's 
brought up many times the system's commonwealth encompasses three galaxies. Mm-hmm. Those three galaxies, because I'm an, also an astronomy buff, it's the Milky Way galaxy, of course. It's the Andromeda galaxy. And the Triangulum galaxies are all encompassed within the system's commonwealth. Hmm. Anyway, that's the fun facts that I've got for, for this show. All right, Ethan, thanks. That was that was really some fun facts. We look forward to more in uh, future shows. Yeah, I enjoyed digging those up. But, uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and tell us about this episode? All right, Under the Night, here's what happened. We set our eyes on the exterior of the Andromeda Ascendant. Inside, the High Guard crew completes an exercise drill. First Officer Commander Geharis Rade barks orders like a drill sergeant, and upon completion, Captain Dylan Hunt tells his crew that it wasn't bad, but he's not doing any cartwheels. This looks like a good crew, and I'm looking forward to really getting to know them over the next five seasons. Shortly thereafter, a systems carrier ship enters normal space and makes contact with Andromeda, informing them of a rogue black hole nearing the Hephaeus system, endangering the nearly half a billion sentient beings living there. Andromeda prepares to take refugees, but when they enter the system, which is about 70% occupied by Nietzscheans, they find themselves suddenly being fired upon. Admiral Akbar, er, Andromeda informs Dylan of the plainly obvious, it's a trap. A trap indeed, as they are surrounded and being attacked by some 10,000 Nietzschean ships. Rade recommends using Nova Bombs. Dylan refuses to use such weapons in an inhabited system. Since this must be some sort of massive Nietzschean conspiracy, Dylan, upon Rade's suggestion, orders all Nietzschean crew relieved of duty and Rade confirmed to the brig. Unable to enter Slipstream and no other viable alternatives, Dylan orders all crew to abandon ship. His pilot, Reflections of Dawn, who looks more like a bug than a human. See what I did there? She refuses to abandon ship and remains at the helm. Dylan now plans to use the black hole's gravity to slingshot around for a tricky, risky, and highly unlikely escape. Cuts a corridor scene as two inept guards casually escort Rade somewhere. He extends his bone blades, attacks, and kills the guards, stealing their weapons. Rade enters command deck, killing Dawn. In an intense firefight, Rade explains to Dylan that the Commonwealth is weak. Nietzscheans had secretly been discussing its overthrow with some resistance, but when they signed the treaty with the Magog, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You see, as Rade explains, the Magog are savage predators that eat sentient beings and reproduce by rape. Among their victims were a number of Nietzschean worlds. The Nietzscheans wanted vengeance, but instead the Commonwealth made peace. The fight continues while the combatants phase in and out of temporal distortions caused by the black hole. Dylan finally gets the better of Rade, which seems to meet with Rade's approval, and then both are frozen in time. Aboard the Eureka Maru, Gerentex has hired Captain Becca Valentine and her crew to recover the legendary Lost Commonwealth ship. Gerentex is obviously a tool and no one likes him, but they do what he says because the recovery and sale of the Andromeda Descendant assures them all vast wealth and riches. Harper finds the Andromeda. They use Bucky cables to pull the ship out of the grasp of the black hole, but not without some danger and heroics first. Back on Andromeda... The recovery of the black hole has also unfrozen time for Dylan and the ship. 
Andromeda calculates using star charts and other sciencey stuff that over 300 years have passed. Everyone they know, their entire world is gone. Dylan seems upset about this. The crew from the Maru board the Andromeda, not knowing what to expect. They break up, looking around to take control of the ship. Andromeda and Dylan become aware of their presence, and Dylan decides to introduce himself to the intruders, starting with Harper. Harper informs Dylan that there was a huge war 300 years ago, and the Commonwealth fell. It is no more. Dylan then gets on the loudspeaker and informs them all that the Commonwealth is still very much alive on the Andromeda, and they have 15 minutes to restore all ships' controls and get out. Jurantex now deploys his secret weapon. A team of mercenaries led by one big, bad-looking Nietzschean wielding a very large gun. To be continued. Very nice. Very nice. That's a, that's a very succinct summary. Well, thank you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's really a part one. And the next episode, we'll see, you know, that's not really a the end. It's a, that's the to be continued. To be continued. No, yeah, I, I really get that. Is. Okay, so let's just start at the beginning. Okay, here here's some observations, and I just want your opinion on it as well. All right. Um, when the drill is taking place at the very opening scene, uh, and we are introduced to Captain Dylan Hunt, he jumps down a stairwell, or turbo shaft, not turbo shaft, um, ladder shaft, whatever <laughs> yeah. you want, and at breakneck speed... Descends what I didn't even count, but it was like 20, 30 decks, something like that. And then, you know, turns on his grav belt and comes to the end. My question is, what happens if someone else wants to use the ladder? <laughs> I mean, do, do, you, do you poke your head out and look both ways first? By then it might be too late. It, it may be Commonwealth or High Guard rule that only the captain is allowed to just free fall down the, the ladder shafts. Okay, but still, even, you know, if they're, you know, one rung at a time climbing the <laughs> way down and the captain comes flashing by, I mean, what happens? Ah, uh, you got me. I really don't know. Okay, am I the, am I the only one that thought about that? I, 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 maybe safety first has been just been drilled into me. Too You're much. the only one in this room that thought about that. Okay, but I mean it's a very, very valid point. Yeah, it I, makes a whole lot of sense. I, there, all right. There's unanswered question number one, and I don't think we're ever going to get an answer in the series about it. But there's still a lot of show. Okay, but probably not. So, so my concern about other crew members is basically, basically moot at this point. Well, for now. Okay. All right, so, well, we can move on from that. I guess I'll just have to stew on that one. I had a question about Refractions of Dawn. Um, it seems like there's some awfully racist things going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, just the conversation. It seemed very friendly. You yes. know, maybe they're comfortable enough with each other that they can make these kind of jokes. Um, but Dylan refers to her as a bug. He does. Um, and then Refractions of Dawn refers to... Dylan and really all all humanoid forms, I guess, as apes. Yes, um, pretty much just knocking each other down to their very primal forms. Yeah, and then there's some subtextual stuff going on as well. I always i the first time I watched this episode, the first thing I gravitated toward or that I clued clued in on was as she's 
diving into the black hole or, or maybe it's into the battle, which whatever the case is, the bug says bonsai. Oh, <laughs> boy. Just, yeah. I, I don't know. There was some of that type dialogue that I thought, well, this is interesting <laughs> for for a pilot episode. But uh, in any case, yeah, that was I, I, I did notice the bug, the bug references and the ape references as well. Uh, this isn't your father's hyperspace. No. Your, or your grandfather's hyperspace. Is no, no not his either. No. Uh, that's one of the things I, I liked about this episode in in the, the way they present travel between the stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally different than anything else that I have seen portrayed in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat limited, I, I would think. I, you know, there's obviously there's the Star Trek uh, where you go through warp drive. But you still, it takes you a long time to get from point A to point B, relatively speaking. Um, and then, you know, there's like Babylon 5, where subspace is this whole pocket universe, basically. And you go into it, and then you navigate to other points in that pocket universe. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. No? Okay. Well, let, let me ask you this, then. The way uh, Slipstream is portrayed, does it make sense to you in this? Well... At this point, we really don't know how it works. I was going to say, it's just there. You yeah. know, it's just, this is what we use to go places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they really haven't explained what Slipstream is or how it works to this point. So I guess right now we're just going to have to trust that it exists and that it works okay. in this 5,000 years into the future. Until we get a better understanding through the show. Or how long would it be? You know, what? When was what was your trivia? When did this? Uh, this is taking place fifty one sixty one. Okay, so, so we're twenty twenty five twenty six hundred years okay. something like that. So I guess we just have to assume that this exists and that it works twenty five hundred years in the future right. from now. Right. Okay. All right. There was. Uh, I'm always looking for continuity holes. And there's just one thing in this that just kind of jumped out at me, and I was trying to make sense of it. And I, I can't do it. When they are uh, getting close to the, the event horizon of the black hole, they started experiencing losses of power. Namely, the AI. Mm-hmm. They lost the AI of the Andromeda. And then Dylan has to go and do something underneath one of the panels, I guess hotwire the AI, and then the AI comes back on. But in the meantime... From the point that they lost the AI, before he restored the AI, Rade is making his march toward command deck, and the Andromeda appears on screen and looks at him and says, you know, Rade, and he shoots the screen. Right. Well, maybe they didn't lose the AI completely. Maybe they just lost the projector. Well, they said AI. Maybe they meant hollow projector. Maybe. <laughs> because that's the only re-explanation I can see for Dylan going, oh, the hollow projector is on the fritz again. Let me go hotwire that thing. Let me, we get, okay, there we go. We, I mean, e- 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 you think about the situation they're in. Do they have to have the hologram? I mean, if the AI is still functional, isn't that good enough? Yeah, you think it would at least come through the speakers or, or do something? they feel like they just have to be able to look at something? You're right. It That is a... a it's it's a bit of of plot. It's not really part of the plot, but it's it's a it's a gag, I guess. It could be it could be just a mistake in editing. Um, maybe that shot was supposed to go 
after he had restored the AI <laughs> power. So. Um, another thought. Okay, I'm going to show my hand. I have seen the entire Andromeda series all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there is going to be um, a future episode, two or three seasons from now, where they do revisit this whole scene. And so I don't know, maybe they'll, if they have to retcon it or if they'll explain it. I don't remember exactly how it, the whole thing went down. But this is just something that I noticed this time around watching this. Didn't quite makes sense. So yeah, I totally missed it. That's okay. I miss things too sometimes. So <laughs> Let's talk about Rade for a minute. Okay. Uh you know, I know he's the bad guy. I mean, I guess he's the bad guy. At least for this first uh, well, there's several bad guys <laughs> that, yeah. that show up in this one. Uh, but as a bad guy, I I was I I I was convinced by his his exposition, his explanation mm-hmm. for why the Nietzscheans, Nietzscheans are betraying the the Commonwealth. I thought this was great. I mean, his explanation uh, during the during the course of their their battling each other, which the battle is not as impressive, but the explanation that he gives for you know the Commonwealth compromising with the Magog, which are awful creatures mm-hmm. even though we don't know who the magog are we don't know what they do i mean he mentions that they're they what they they rape to reproduce mm-hmm. and they eat sentient beings yeah that's all we know okay um you know klingons klingons are pretty bad they they do similar type things but i don't view them as being just pure evil beings these magog are going to be got to be awful. So why would the Commonwealth be dealing with them? Why would they be making peace with them? I, I, for one, coming at it from a fresh perspective, seeing it for the first time, not knowing what's coming forward, uh, I, I was asking the same question. Wow, this, this Commonwealth is pretty heavy-handed. I can understand why the Nietzscheans would, would act the way they did. You know, another thing that I noticed with Rod A2, um, and this is kind of going back to the the whole situation with the AI and things not really making sense. Um, something else that I couldn't quite make sense of is, you know, I read in my recap, I said that there were two inept guards escorting Rade somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where were they going? Because... Did they not say Brig? Or did I just automatically assume? He did say that he should be confined to the Brig because of his Nietzschean heritage. Right. But just moments after that, Dylan orders everyone to abandon ship. Mm-hmm. But it still appears that they're taking him to the brig. <laughs> okay, I see. Where everyone you're going. off the yeah. ship uh, except for the Nietzschean. You got to go to the two brig. guards and the two guards. <laughs> you're going down with the ship. Maybe get that guy to the. Maybe brig. they just got to get him to the brig, and then they can <laughs> jump in an escape pod. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, they're just following orders, I guess. You know? Yeah. You know. Oh, oh, sure. We'll abandon ship, but first we got to take care of this guy. <laughs> I mean, is that what it appeared to? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put that way. That's that is. <laughs> I'm a little fuzzy on the timing of how these scenes, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah well, if that's I'll the tell case, you. I'll tell you. That's it. how it happened. That's the timing. He said, <laughs> "Okay, take him to the brig." Oh, we got a situation. Everybody off the ship. Oh, but we're still taking him to the brig, yeah. and then you know, then he. Well, maybe they didn't get the message. You know, it. it, it maybe was... the loudspeakers weren't working. Obviously, they have a problem with the AI staying up. 
maybe the loudspeakers were having some issues on that deck or something. Maybe. I mean, I'm sure there's a logical explanation. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. And one last thing about Rade. This, the part where he recommends using the Nova Bombs, there's also a certain look on Rade's face when Dylan says no. That could be taken one of several different ways, um, especially if you're watching it for the first time, not knowing what Rade is about to do, and then watching it again, knowing what Rade is about to do. Do you think Rade is trying to give Dylan an out for this whole thing? That To make that recommendation, well, he knows Hunt. He knows Dylan Hunt. He knows his captain. They're good friends, as as we will eventually come to find out. Um, for him to make that suggestion was probably not as much of a 50-50 in his mind. Because mm-hmm. he, he knew uh, Dylan wasn't going to use those. So it really didn't hurt to suggest them. It, maybe it, kept, it keeps Dylan off, off balance a little bit longer and keeps him in, in good graces. Yeah, maybe. You know, there's just but, the, the expression on his face. It's almost it almost looked like disappointment. Mm-hmm. And like I say, the first time watching it, not knowing what he's doing, maybe it's disappointment that he's not going to take action. Yeah. But then the second time around, knowing what he's going to do, then maybe the look of disappointment is you're forcing me down. That this means path. I have to kill you. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm right. That's just kind of what no, I picked it, up it, on. No, but it it does. I know exactly what you're talking about. It it just does seem like that was that is the look on his face. You can see that that flip the the, the switch being flipped in his mind. All right, you have you have set the course. Mm-hmm. Now I have to I have to follow that course. In game. <laughs> um moving on into the into the well, the presence uh, in which the show is going to take place, the actual fifty-one, sixty-one, all of that that we were talking about was what the forty-eight hundreds, or mm-hmm. you know, three hundred years in the past. Uh, coming forward to the quote unquote air quotes mm-hmm. present, uh, I think they did a great job building, you know, designing as you know, not so much the set, but the 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 layout and the design of the ship, the Eureka Maru. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that they did a good job of making it look decrepit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's not something I would want to be flying in space in. Yeah, I think um, when you first started watching this show, I think you mentioned to me the first time you saw it, you said that Eureka Morrow is one butt-ugly ship. It is <laughs> very, very ugly. Yeah. But uh, that being said, um, you know, the crew... And I'm talking about the the crew that we're going to get to know going going forward. Awfully likable, you know, for a bunch of misfits, mm-hmm. you know, that have just been cobbled together. They're awfully likable, mm-hmm. and I know that's by design. But I mean, you look at a ship that rundown, and you think about their line of work, scavengers, you know, just whatever comes their way, whatever mm-hmm. they can, you know, wherever they can get a buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think that they'd be a little more at each other's throats, but they're not. They really are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all got that soft, yeah, that soft side to them, yeah, they, which I guess makes it more believable that 
and I know I'm I'm getting forward here that they would eventually become part of Dylan's crew. What? I know, I know. I jumped the I jumped the timeline. Well, that's all right. <laughs> We're not going to be that strict. <laughs> you do get the sense that they they care about each other. Oh, but I will say, Jarentic's not likable. No, 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 not likable. And I I know he's not supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I had always wanted a ferret when I was a kid. Um, after watching this, I'm not so sure I want one now. Yeah, ferrets are out. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's a little throwaway line I think we have to mention when Harper is talking about uh, meeting Captain Hunt. And uh, do you remember how he describes him? Oh, the... Uh... He's like a Greek god or something. Huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wonder wonder what you would call that Greek god. And, and for those of you under the age of, oh, 15, there was a show in the 90s called Hercules, uh, who was about the son of a Greek god. Yeah. Son mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Half, he was half, half, half human. Half human. Half. He was a half breed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was played by Kevin Sorbo, who is Captain Dylan Hunt now in the year 2000. Yeah, so it was uh, kind of a little play there about uh, him being... It was a cheap shot. I liked it. I thought it was funny. You thought it was funny? You know what? You know why I I didn't mind it? Because I don't think it took away from the show. No, no, Um, it didn't. You know, it it didn't, like... If you didn't know that Kevin Sorbo had played Hercules, I don't think think you would have noticed. You wouldn't have thought that was kind of a weird line to put in there. I think it fit, but then it was also kind of just, it was a little inside joke, too, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So I thought that was, for that, I thought it was clever. I, th- I think anybody that was watching in 2000 that watched the pilot, that was a great joke. That was mm-hmm. a great punchline, because, what, Hercules had just wrapped up, what, two, three years before or something like that? I didn't watch Hercules. It, it ran to, like, the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch the show either. I just know that that was the time period that it aired. Oh, but we all knew about it. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody knew, Everybody about, knew Hercules. about it. Hercules and, and Xena, you know. Yeah. But I think you're right. Now, somebody comes to it fresh for the first time and doesn't know any, know anything about the Hercules television show and Kevin Sorbo's career. They watch this and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, pew, right over the head. <laughs> Probably to this point, though, it, the Hercules show is still probably... Kevin Sorbo's biggest claim to fame. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't you think most, if yeah. you say the name Kevin Sorbo, most people don't, I'm, I'm guessing, most people probably don't think Captain Dylan Hunt, right. very first thing. They probably think, oh yeah, the Hercules guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think his, is it his Twitter or his Facebook page? One of them, actually, the tagline is, yeah, the Hercules guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah, I just thought it, it was, was a nice funny. gag. Yeah, it was a nice gag. Um, one other thing, if if your cables are breaking while you're hauling something out of a black hole, is it really a smart idea to just throw all the power into the machine? Isn't that going to snap your cables even faster? I mean, that was just my observation. That was well, my yes it. and no. Explain this to me. In real life, yes. On a TV show, no. So, yes and no. And as we have learned from the movie Interstellar, weird things happen around black holes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I can accept that. That seems like a plausible scientific explanation. (laughs) 
Well, you know, I mean, it's they. You're only as strong as your weakest link. Maybe those particular cables were the weak ones. Yeah. Um, they, they, they'd been coiled up in the hold for, you know, 15, 20 years. Sure. I mean, you know, you've been something back and forth enough times. We don't know how they were treating those things. Maybe, maybe they had been, yeah, just all, all, all folded up somewhere. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, um, Rev Bim was in charge of, of, uh, of coiling those things up and he, you know, didn't really take too much care and time. Becca might have let somebody, you know, move with them at some point. They left them in the back of the truck, you know, out in the sun. And, uh, you know, when they came back, they got mixed in with the others. Yeah, I can see that. It was probably Trance's predecessor. <laughs> the guy that didn't that didn't survive. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, he, he's not there. So <laughs> evidently someone that didn't do things right all the time. Right. Yeah. And okay. they're still paying for his mistakes. So, so they broke because of... What's his name that yeah. came before something trans. something packs, okay, yeah, yeah, that guy was inept, yeah, okay, yeah, he should have been a guard that's a great exp- that's a great explanation, actually, I like that yeah I, I i that's what I had always thought i yeah, I'm glad I finally had a chance to explain my view on that, so yeah, so something that that I think is really interesting about this show is that every single episode. Uh, begins with a quote. And so I thought it might be fun if we kind of look at those quotes, try to view them in context of the episode, and, and try, to, try to, to pick out just really what they're trying to say, what it means. And so for this episode, Under the Night, the quote is, If the Commonwealth's High Guard had a weakness, it was this. Its officers were too competent, too caring, and too brave. What do you take from that in context of this show? Well, I mean, what comes to my mind is, and I have to, especially early on here, I'm relating everything to what I have seen before. And my mind immediately goes to, this sounds like something that you would see in Star Trek. You know, the captain has uh, uh, the prime directive to follow. And if it's a straight-laced captain, they're going to make decisions that are going to hurt themselves, you know. And that's that's kind of I, I take that and I impose that onto the high guard, you know, the Commonwealth's elite, you know, the captains of the high guard. They had a precedent that they had to set and maintain, and they would maintain that precedent even if it shot themselves in the foot, and so. You know, in order to maintain their ideals, the ideals of the Commonwealth, it was their downfall. And I think that's something that they haven't really explored in Star Trek. You haven't seen a captain lose everything because he maintained his ideals. Here we have a situation in which civilization falls because people maintained, you know, if you if you want to believe this, the historian that's quoted here, Yin Mei Wei, uh, the rise and fall of the system's commonwealth. Is, that was supposedly where this was taken from. Mm-hmm. So the historical, uh, you know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. The historical view is that, <laughs> or 50-50, <laughs> if you've watched certain movies. <laughs> uh, so it, it, looking back at it, they, they can look and say, yeah, they were, they were, uh, what's the saying? Uh, 
generous to a fault. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's what I'm circling around to here. Yeah, they were generous to a fault, and the fault became theirs, and they they suffered the consequences of it. Yeah, I my my thoughts are not too far different from that. In fact, I think that what you're saying is directly exposed in this episode based on what Rod A says with the Magog. The situation with the Magog, you have this terrible, fearsome, um, just awful alien species coming through ravaging and doing things that are just unspeakable based on what Rod A is saying. Mm-hmm. And and what do they do? They sign a treaty with them. Yeah. They, they hand over... Uh, Property, they hand over power, control, whatever. They, 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 they compromise. They, yeah, exactly. And so, it, from from Dylan's standpoint, it comes down to we're trying to make the best of this situation. You know, are are we are we supposed to just go out and just destroy all of these these Magog creatures, or are we supposed to try to find a way to live with them? And yeah, it 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 ended up being their downfall. Yeah, maybe they would have been better off had they let the Nietzscheans go ahead and just wipe out the Magog. Maybe the Commonwealth is still standing. The Nietzscheans never have a reason to rebel because everything's good. Oh, okay, but then I mean, then do you do you surrender to every little uprising just to keep peace? You know, I mean it. Where do you, where do you draw the line? Right. Yeah, and that's ultimately that's what it comes down to. We're looking back at a fallen culture that fell, and and, and this is this isn't uh, this isn't unprecedented. You know, we we have that sort of thing in reality that that we see. We see countries. We see you know past civilizations have fallen because they failed to change. They failed to make adjustment, and that's what's happened here with the systems commonwealth. It failed to adjust properly. It held to its ideals, and it, you know it, it fell because of it. It's now a part of history. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It seems it's a lot to draw from just a saying, but I mean it. It, it really, in relation to how it reflects on the show itself, uh, it, that that little quote at the beginning of of the show really kind of sets the what I feel like is the precedent for the entire series going forward. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, I can't say this now because I don't know, but I kind of wonder if as we go through this series, if we're going to come through some of these different episodes and we're going to remember some of these quotes and maybe they will take on more meaning as it progresses, as the more we yeah. learn about this universe that we're watching. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe we'll never talk about them again, but you know, maybe we will. So, I guess, bottom line then. Andromeda, Under the Night. Did you like it? Yes, I did. Um, I, I've watched it uh, two or three times now. The first time I watched it, it was... I I actually was more interested in the fall of the uh, system's commonwealth. And so when they switched to basically the salvage operation taking place on the Eureka Maru, I was less interested. I really, I almost feel, I almost wish the show had been more successful so that we would have gotten like what we've seen in uh, Babylon 5 and uh, Battlestar Galactica, where they actually go back and make 
a prequel or or a, even just a made for TV movie like they did for Babylon Five that actually shows you some of this stuff that you're that you learn about hundreds of years mm-hmm. later. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So I, I really I wanted to see more with the fall of the system's Commonwealth. I think that would have been a really intriguing story to follow, but I, I like disaster movies anyway. So I mean, that ultimately that's what you're going to be watching mm-hmm. the, the demise of a civilization. But yeah, I, I, all in all, I think this, this episode does a really good job of, of setting up the story and, and keeping you interested in at least some of the characters so that you, you want to see what's going to happen with them going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. It seems like it's an incredible civilization that we never get to know. Really. Yeah. So yeah. So the, that's how I felt about it, Ryan. What do you think about the episode? Oh well, I I really can't disagree with you. I mean, I really liked it too. Um, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously because sometimes shows don't have a strong beginning. But to me, I think this show really had a strong uh, beginning. It had a you you you're able to establish a universe um a universe that's completely different from ours i think that's kind of hard to do in just 42 45 minutes whatever yeah whatever the episode length is to establish a universe tear it down and establish a new universe see where you had this um i don't know for lack of a better term a golden age of civilization and then in from Dylan's perspective, in an instant, that civilization to be completely torn down, everything just burned to the ground around his feet, and and now he's 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 stuck with what? His ship. That's it. And now he's gotta to try to fight for it. Yeah. I in you know, and us, you and I having uh you know, spoken with, corresponded with the the show's uh, developer Robert Hewitt Wolf coming soon to a drive back the night Andromeda series podcast. Absolutely, uh, w- yeah, we we will have that interview for you. But you know, in, in that interview, he 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 talks about the budget constraints that they had and the the lack of material that he had. You know, I mean, there was material there that Gene Roddenberry had left behind, and then he takes that and then creates the universe from just a few basic notes. Uh, and I think that really speaks well of, of the show's developer uh, of Robert Hewitt Wolf. I mean, because exactly what you said, he creates this entire universe and then implodes it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're thrust into a completely different situation. And now you have a man out of time plucked and, and placed in that situation that we're going to get to in this next episode and going forward. And uh, I think it speaks well about uh, the writing, at least initially. It uh, it was very well thought out. And for whatever budget constraints or contractual issues that may have taken place, may or may not have taken place, uh, I think the show got a great start. Yeah. Well, we're definitely in agreement on that. And I can't say that that is probably always going to happen because no. I know the two of us too well. But, you know, that's just what we think. But what do you all think? We'd really love to hear from you. Um, Ethan, where can they get a hold of us? We do have an email for the podcast. It is drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Yeah, and uh, also you can you can like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash andromedapod. 
and also on Twitter, we are at AndromedaPod. So yeah, follow us, like us on there, get in contact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we may be able to use them in a future podcast in part of our, part of our discussion. And in the meantime, um, yeah, just go ahead and, and, uh, and watch the Andromeda series with us. And there are a number of ways to do that. You can, um, you can buy or rent possibly the DVDs. There also is a YouTube channel. Yeah, and it's an official Andromeda YouTube channel, um, so you can get on there and watch those on your computer um, or any other device you can get YouTube. So, um, and I think we'll enjoy it a lot more if we know people are following along with us. I think Absolutely. You'll enjoy it a lot more if you follow along with us. We're on Podbean. You can follow us there. We're andromedaseries.podbean.com. Special thanks to Age of Geek Productions for helping us get going. And uh, go ahead and give them your support, too, and follow them. And uh, special thanks to Tim Kimmerly, who is the one who uh, does the reading of our quotes at the beginning of each episode. So we hope you guys will uh, will join us again. Actually, this is a special circumstance because we got the next podcast coming right up right after this one. In the same week, we're releasing them the same day. So we hope you'll listen to the next one. And then uh, give us your thoughts, comments, and hope to see you again. <laughs>